Good morning. It's great to see everyone this morning and to have you here to worship with us. Let's all stand together and sing our first song. It's called Here I Am to Worship. Facebook and um, this week I ran into some pictures of some people that I thought I recognized but I wasn't really sure I knew I knew who the lady was she was this really pretty lady in this white dress with a white veil and beside her was this really mm, I'm not sure if handsome's the word guy with um, sideburns that went all the way to his chin <laughs> Happy anniversary today 
to Arthur and Penny, 40 years, 40 years. Happy anniversary. This next song is, um, it's one that's very familiar to us. It's called Nothing But The Blood. Um, one of the things that we do sometimes with, with songs is um, kind of rearrange them a little bit. And Andy made this arrangement of Nothing But The Blood for us. Let's sing together. Precious 
got to be somebody here that you don't know because y'all never have opportunities to be in the same place. So look around and see someone that you might need to learn a name. And children, we invite you to come forward to join us for a few moments of sharing. Good morning. Everybody's still talking. Good morning. Hannah Grace is holding something I brought with me this morning. What did I bring? Why do you think I brought that American flag with me this morning? It's actually tomorrow, but you're right. It is to remind me that this week we celebrate an important holiday. And what's it called? That's right, Memorial Day. Do you know what that holiday means? Do you know why we celebrate Memorial Day? You got an idea, Emma? Okay. You're exactly right. It's the day on which we stop to remember and honor the men and women who died in military service while fighting to defend our freedom. We enjoy a lot of freedom in our country, don't we? What kind of things are we free to do? Can you think of anything? Riley? That's right. That's probably one of the most important things, isn't it? We're free to come here and worship God like we want to do. What, Lauren? What else? That's okay. Anybody else have any other ideas? I have some with me. Like Riley already said, we are free to attend church and worship. We are free to choose what we want to be when we grow up. We are free to choose where we want to live. Um, what about what we wear? Lots of little things that we might not think about, right? But we're free to do all those things because somebody has fought for our freedom. Many courageous men and women gave their lives to pay the price for the freedom that we all enjoy. And these are the people that we honor this week as we celebrate Memorial Day. We do have a lot of freedoms, some of the things we just mentioned and a lot of other things too, but the greatest freedom we have is what Riley said first. We have the freedom to believe in Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches us that the penalty for sin is death, but you and I have been set free from this penalty. How are we set free from the penalty of death? What did Jesus do for us? Sarah? 
That's right. We have been set free because Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. The Bible tells us that Jesus died to set us free from the penalty of our sins. So instead of death, we get to live forever in heaven. We have this eternal life. And it wasn't free, was it? Jesus paid it for us. So this week, as we celebrate Memorial Day, let us also stop to remember and thank God for the price he paid for our freedom. We can thank God for Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. He was willing to pay the ultimate price. Will you pray with me? And then I have a coloring sheet that you can take and color with you this morning or tomorrow. And if you don't have crayons, you can get them from my basket in the back, okay? Close your eyes and repeat after me. Dear Father, thank you for the freedom that we enjoy. We are thankful for those who paid the price for that freedom. But even more important, we thank you for the freedom we have because Jesus was willing to pay the penalty. Amen. It is wonderful to see all of us together. Uh, we came up with this idea in the Council on Ministries that it would be good for occasionally us to uh, have joint worship services, sometimes here and sometime our 11 o'clock format, but to do it at a halfway time, 10 o'clock, so that you just might have a chance to see each other. Um, we've had people join both congregations um, in recent years, and and some of the folks who have been coming to the early service haven't gotten to know those new people at the later service and, and vice versa. So uh, glad that you're here today to help us with this uh, mixer experience. Um, if you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you here, and we do hope you'll come back for other uh, activities at our church. We routinely have a 9 o'clock contemporary worship service here, a 10 o'clock Sunday school hour, mostly in this building, um, and then an 11 o'clock traditional worship in our very beautiful sanctuary, and we invite you to come to those. One of the things we do a little different here is the way we do our prayer concerns. We invite you to share any special concerns that you have, uh, and we all agree to join in prayer with you. And the way we do that is to have you write something on an index card that you don't mind me trying to read and repeat. Sometimes that's a challenge. But if you raise your hand, our uh, ushers will have an index card to give you. And if you'll write something down, we'll share your concern uh, with you and with God in a few moments. A uh, couple of announcements. Vacation Bible School begins next Sunday, June the 5th and runs through Thursday, June the 9th, every evening from 6 p.m. to 7.45. Join us at the Shake It Up Cafe, where kids carry out God's recipe. You may register at the cafe table in the back or online at greerchurch.com. Please register today if you can. Some of our children's Sunday school classes need teachers during the upcoming summer months, and if you can help, 
please let Katie know. Uh, we thank you. Also, uh, those of you that have, that either are college and grad students or you have one in your home, uh, the date for scholarship applications to be returned to the church office has been extended to, to June the 6th. Uh, so if you um, have not yet picked up a scholarship application, you may do so at the church office, but we do ask that you bring them back by, uh, that's a Monday, isn't it, June the 6th? Um, so pass that word on to you. One of the things we wanted to do at this combined service was to recognize some folks who are in transition, um, graduating. And Andy is gonna come and help us with that at this time. And that we're, we're pushing some things ahead because Andy, our uh, youth director, has to do a transformation into, into the right Reverend Joel Andrew Watson and head to Slater in a few moments. Uh, we get his musical skills early on. What better time than when we're all together at a joint service to recognize those who are graduating both college and high school. And we do have a few graduates this year. Um, what are we going to start with? I believe I've got a slide with one more. High school graduates first. We just have two this year, but we are very proud of both of them. Um, one from Blue Ridge and one from Greer. Quite a rivalry. Um, and is De Devin's here? I think I saw her this morning. Do you mind coming up here, Devin? Devin is graduating from Greer High School. She's going to be going to Clemson and I believe biomedical engineering will be her major. And she is valedictorian of Greer High School. Yeah. <laughs> and we just wanted to give you this. The, the gifts are school color coordinated and everything. And that's all Jocelyn, who, who really did the legwork here. I, she just sent me an email with everything to say. And, and so I, I appreciate all that Jocelyn's done. And we definitely appreciate and are very proud of, of your accomplishments. And that's incredible to be valedictorian. So and that's very good. So congratulations again. <laughs> Alex, come on up here. Alex is graduating from Blue Ridge High, but his blood may still run a little golden yellow from Gaffney. So, but uh, he's grown to love Blue Ridge, and we're very proud of him as well. He's going to be going back up towards uh, Cherokee County and going to Gardner Webb um, in the fall. Um, so, uh, and he—I don't know if y'all know, but Alex has been in, in various plays over the last two or three years. He's well, probably four, right, uh, over here at the Bond Center, and uh, we're very proud. And he, yeah, that's right. He did just get his Eagle Scout this past spring as well. So we, we get, we're blessed with some pretty good high school seniors. So thank you, Alex. And Anna Griffin, who is unable to be with us this morning, is also graduating from Clemson, hence the orange. Um, what's her major, Ruth? Animal and Veterinarian Sciences, that's right. Okay, all right, good. And so when you see her uh, around this summer, please congratulate her too on graduating from Clemson. Yeah, we can, yeah, we can certainly clap for that. Now, Zach Guest, who is here, 
this morning. Um, if you come up here, Zach. Zach is graduating, or graduated already, from the College of Charleston. Um, two majors and a minor. Yes, so, um, yeah, yes, that's it. And, um, and he's, he's currently holding down a good job down on the coast. Um, and I, I think you would like to eventually go to the school in Oregon. What's the name? University of, Oregon. University of Oregon. The sports marketing school up there is the best in the country, and that's what his, his even uh, future goal is. So uh, we, we are very proud of all the hard work that you've put into two majors and a minor, and uh, we appreciate your, your dedication. And last but certainly not least, right, Cindy, is Charlie Miller. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Charlie Miller is also graduating from Clemson, um, and he is, uh, has his degree now in chemical engineering. And so, um, and, and you know, Charlie is a man of many talents. Um, and he's quite musical as well, so um, uh, we're very proud of all your accomplishments and, and the, the young man that you've become. Thank you. But yes, thank you all very much. Andy, thank you so much for doing that so, so very well. Um, this time I'd like to invite you to hold up your cards if you've filled them out of your prayer card and we'll join together for a time of prayer as soon as they come in. And as they are being collected, I will say, yes, indeed, Penny Holt is near the back. This is the 40th anniversary of the worst decision she ever made. <laughs> Y'all didn't have to agree, but um, <clears throat> one of the things I will say is that, uh, thank you, wherever we have lived, she has blessed the congregation's um, that I have been appointed to with her music. And um, yes, indeed. <clears throat> uh, master's degree piano performance major um, from USC. So uh, the real secret to how I get to stay in churches longer than two years is Penny Holt has been my wife. <clears throat> and churches say, we'll put up with Arthur if we can just have Penny. Okay. Let us join our hearts together in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for this day, for all the significance to us as Americans as we remember Memorial Day, for the significance of those, to those that are graduating, and to all of us as two congregations come together to worship you. These are our special concerns for today. We pray for Ruth Elmore, a friend of Lynn Pennington, having back surgery on June the 7th. We pray for Corey Kinnett for speedy recovery from a recent surgery. We pray for healing for Neil Weiss. We pray for faith, courage, and strength for Neil, Kathy, and the family. We pray for a speedy recovery for Corey. We pray for families impacted by the, the um, tornadoes and floods for Bud Smith and his struggle with multiple myeloma. 
we continue to pray for Della Bell, uh, her friends and family. We pray again for Neil and family. Also for Nancy Kiefer, Billy Soulsby, David Lanier, Betty Foster. For mom's upcoming surgery and safe travel this week for our high school graduates. For troops in harm's way, the fa their families and loved ones, and for those troops who's, uh, and their families, for the troops who've paid the ultimate sacrifice. We pray for Louise Jones and for Meredith Sims. We pray for Herman, who is still in critical, critical condition following surgery. For Mike, as he begins his second round in his battle with cancer. For Catherine Poole, Kitty Poole, for, who is in intensive care at Greer Memorial, uh, and she is a next door neighbor of Sylvia Pitts. We pray for healing for Michael Haas and for Martha Gibson. We pray that Bill Herman, a grandfather, uh, will have a successful surgery on his arm and that all of the cancer will be removed. We, we pray for a family member who is seeking a job, for Jake's continued progress in speech and walking. We ask your blessings on our graduates uh, who, as they go forward in life. For Grandpa, who is in the hospital, for a boss going through a difficult time in his marriage, and for Luke Hall, and for his Grandpa Driscoll, who are in the hospital. Lord, these are our special prayers through Jesus Christ who has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us at this time worship God uh, by giving. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. All your ways are good. All your ways are sure. I will trust in Stand you alone in you alone. 
holiday, that this is indeed um, Memorial Day, as Andy has to leave and become preacher. Thank you, sir. But um, would you stand with me and let's sing a, one of our patriotic hymns together, um, America the Beautiful, all verses, uh, as we remember, and then after this I will uh, lead us in a prayer.
freedom, that for which you have created us, but that which was won for us by brave patriots who lived before us, and many of us here have family members that fought and died in the Revolutionary War and in every war since then, and we remember their sacrifice this day as we come here to worship you without fear of reprisal, without being afraid that someone will come in and stop us or telling us anything that we have to do particularly to worship you in ways that maybe we're not comfortable. We thank you for our freedom. We thank you for life itself in this wonderful country. And as people around the world are awakening to freedom in their lands, may they continue to be able to look to us as an example of a country that for more than 200 years has been able to govern itself and to make sacrifices for one another. For in your name we pray. Amen. If you are uh, a little uncomfortable out here in this service, not used to what we do here, let me say some things about the history that we are in. We're finishing seven years of this service because that's how long uh, y'all have put up with me. Um, I owe a great debt of gratitude to my predecessor, James Ellis Griffith, who was concerned that this service might begin before there had been adequate study and planning. And so he insisted that a committee be formed and they did a wonderful job studying and preparing for well over a year to make sure that once they launched their efforts here, it would have a distinctly Methodist character about it and include some of our creeds and prayers and things like that. We'll, we'll do the Apostles' Creed a little later. Um, and of course, um, um, we, we are greatly uh, appreciative to that whole committee that worked so very hard to, to make sure that we have this service, and especially to its chairperson, Don Lewis, who uh, brought this into being. This is a service that I am proud to be associated with because it has good character. And, and uh, first time I came to a rehearsal, I thought, oh, my goodness, a little church praise band. I've heard those before, and they... You know, they don't sound like they've ever sung together before. And the first week I was here, I thought, man, where did these people come from and their talents? And uh, somebody heard me humming in the corner. I think it was Don Lewis and said, get him a microphone. And I've been with him ever since. But um, uh, it's a good, meaningful service to those that come. And, and uh, I'm pleased that it's attracting some new people here 
uh, as is our 11 o'clock service. We've got some diehard people that say that's what church is supposed to be like, and that's what we had when we grow up, growing up, and we're 22 now, and that's where we're going to come. You know, uh, people have their strong uh, feelings about how we worship, and I am so thankful that we have two very, very fine worship services that are causing this church to grow. And a uh, few times I've sung with the choir up there, but they're not real anxious to have me back. So I, our um, gospel, our uh, scripture lesson, rather, is from the book of Acts. <clears throat> I thought it was a wonderful story for us today. It is the um, uh, first lesson uh, in our list for this Sunday, Acts chapter 17. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The Lord who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands, and he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him, and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Here ends the lesson, a story for our time. I did fairly well in college, since we have some graduates here. I graduated from Walford College, Lordy How Come. I did a little bit better when I got to seminary. I actually graduated with honors there, cum laude. The most difficult subject I faced while I was at college was philosophy, of all things. And the second most difficult subject was religion, believe it or not. My brain just has a tough time wrapping itself around some of those philosophical concepts like hermeneutic and dialectic. Oh, yeah. Now, the real joke on me is that both of our children, John and Hillary, love philosophy. One majored in philosophy in college and the other one minored in it. So whenever they get together and start talking, I go outside and sit on the patio or the porch, just get out of the way. When you and I think about philosophers, we usually think about uh, Greece, that great nation that produced some of the great thinkers like Aristotle and Plato. And when the gospel began to spread outside of Palestine, 
which happened during the early decades following the resurrection of Jesus, it encountered a Roman world that was dominated by Greek philosophical ideas. Even the Greek deities had their names changed. The Romans didn't come up with anything original. They just changed the names of the Greek gods. And it is from the Greek philosophy that the gospel writers began borrowing some concepts to try to explain exactly who Jesus was. He was the logos that the Greeks talked about, the word that existed in the very beginning. And John, the writer of the Gospel John, saw the Logos as a way of bridging the, the gap between Hebrew, the Hebrew Messiah, and the uh, Greek-dominated uh, intellectual community. Today's lesson finds uh, the Apostle Paul traveling down to Greece. He had to get away from some very hostile people in his own religion who had dogged his journey all the way trying to stop him from preaching. And so he, get, he went outside of uh, the Hebrew territory and saw this as an opportunity to spread the good news there. But what happened on that visit serves as a good example of how you and I might want to think about conducting ourselves when we encounter people in our day who are from a very different culture and religion. It appears to me to be a story designed for our day. Now, it would be very helpful to you if you were aware of Paul's frame of mind as he gets to uh, Athens. He is not a happy camper. We're told in verse 16, which was just before the section I read, that Paul was greatly distressed, very upset and angry when he saw idols everywhere. Well, that would have upset any faithful Hebrew, not, not just because they believed in only one God, but there was something in their history that made this very personal to Paul. Idol worship had been the source of many, many troubles in Old Testament times, beginning with the golden calf and including the worship of Baal that bothered the Old Testament prophets so very much. How upset was Paul? He was so upset that he avoided the pagan group entirely. He spent all his time at the synagogue and at the market dealing with people of his own religion and also some people that had converted to Judaism from paganism. He had nothing to do, though, with those pagans. He was in no frame of mind to run into any of them because he would not have been able to successfully and winfully represent our Lord. There was a battle raging on the inside of Paul, and it needed to be won before he could lovingly reach out to that very, very different culture. If you and I are going to successfully and lovingly represent our Lord to the people that we meet, then we have to come to terms with whatever battle is raging on the inside, going on in our hearts and minds that would get in God's way because people can sense our hostility. One of the ways that we do this is to try to put ourselves in the place of the people and to begin to look at life through their perspective. When Paul began to do that, it must have occurred to him that the pagan idolatry was very, very different from the Hebrew idolatry. The Hebrews, you see, had known better. God had revealed himself especially to them, giving them the Ten Commandments. And so when they practiced idolatry, 
they were going against one of the commandments of God. They were backsliding into a former way of life. They knew they were wrong, but Paul knew that these pagans in Greece didn't really know they were wrong. They didn't have the law of Moses. They had never known any better. Paul's heart must have begun to soften toward these people when he thought about that fact. Perhaps there was even something positive about their religion that, that um, would give him a starting place, some places to connect his faith to theirs so that then he might begin to share the good news um, with them. They were devoutly religious people wanting to learn all that they could about the divine world, careful not to accidentally overlook or offend any unknown or undiscovered God. So Paul worked through his anger and came to appreciate the culture that he found himself surrounded by to such a degree that he could use it as a starting point to preach the gospel. Probably before he was ready, Paul was thrown into the spotlight. If his conversations in the marketplace had not been overheard by some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, he wouldn't have stepped out then to present the gospel to those people. They listened to what he was saying and they said the same thing to Paul or to one another about Paul that y'all say to one another after you hear one of my sermons. What is this babbler trying to say? And they took him, perhaps against his will, to the Areopagus, which was a place like a county courthouse in those days where people gathered together to discuss, to discuss new ideas and concepts. Paul's sermon there gives us some ideas about how we might go about finding some common ground for connecting with people who are very different from us. And you can tell that he, got, he had gotten over his aversion and prejudice against these people by the fact that he was able to compliment them on their religious devotion. Men of Athens, it's good to see how devoutly religious you are. There was no fire and brimstone threatened upon them for their pagan beliefs. Rather, he found a place to compliment them where he could. Then there was their curiosity about the God they had never heard of. You even have an altar dedicated to an unknown God, Paul said. That's the very God I want to tell you about today. That was the first connection between Paul and the people of Athens. They both shared an interest and a fervor for religion. A second connection between them is something that we human beings seem to innately be aware of, and that is that the, the divine world was responsible for creating the physical world. God made all that is, he says, both in the heavens and on earth. In the book of Romans, Paul develops this idea and says that he believed that you could learn an awful lot about the creator by looking at the creation. And we see the hint of this in this address to the people of Athens. This all-powerful God of creation is far too big and powerful to need any help from us, Paul says, or to have to live in things that we build for them. In fact, it's for him, rather. It is, it is just the opposite. 
God does not live in the idols that we make for him. We live in God. It is in him we live and move and have our being. And so that was another connection. Then there was another connection that I began to feel more and more last year as I began to work on my family history. Paul calls attention to this. Namely, that all human beings are connected to one another through common ancestors. Paul believed this from a standpoint of his religious heritage, and his hearers probably believed it also. The Bible not only tells us that we are descendants of Adam and Eve, but it says that everybody except Mr. and Mrs. Noah, whatever her name was, got wiped out, and so we're all descendants of the Noah family uh, more recently. Now, I've always believed this, but if you've read any of my newsletters in the last year, you realize that I did a DNA test to find out who I was uh, kin to, and Martin Gary Wallace is afraid I'll find out that I'm kin to Hitler, but I haven't yet, Martin Gary. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, my DNA testing led me to some further, further stories, and did you know that everybody who is alive on the planet today all comes from the same hometown in eastern Africa. It's the oldest known community, and the genetic material found there resides in every one of you today. So whoever you are, anywhere on this planet, you had an ancestor in that village. That's your hometown. We are all connected to one another by our common DNA, and we go back to an original human pair. Until about a thousand generations ago, all of our ancestors looked just alike, looking like modern Africans with dark skin, brown eyes, and dark hair. Paul said that God intended for us to spread all over the whole world, and the DNA record indicates that that's exactly what happened. That a very small number of people, maybe only 200, ever successfully migrated out of Africa at a time when there was a little bit of vegetation that let people, 200 people, get over into India. And from there, they migrated every place in the world. And this small number of our ancestors gave birth to the Chinese, the Japanese, the Semitic people, the Indians, the Europeans, the Hispanics, the Native Americans, and all other non-African races. That amazes me. And ever since I learned that, it's, it's really had an impact on how I see all of y'all and each other. That, Amer that African-American over there had an ancestor who ate dinner with my ancestors in the first village where we all lived. That Chinese lady over there had an ancestor that walked out of Africa with my ancestors many years ago. It is a very small world. It was something about the climates that our families went to that changed our skin color and our hair color, mine must have gone to the North Pole and got no sun. I don't understand. Did you know that the first person who ever had blue eyes lived only about 6,000 years ago? Everybody was brown-eyed until about 6,000 years ago, and something happened, and somebody turned up with blue eyes, and it spread from that one person, and all of you who have blue eyes, we're all kin. Uh, to that one person. It's amazing. We are one big family here on earth. 
We are all God's offspring, Paul said. And maybe someday people everywhere will actually come to accept this fact that the Bible teaches and modern science affirms and we'll start treating one another as the brothers and sisters that we really are. Another uh, connection between Paul and the philosophers was their common spiritual hunger. Paul said that God made all people and had them spread out over the whole world in hopes that every one of those tribes would seek God in their own way, reach out to him and find him because he was not far away from any of them. That inner longing for truth, for faith, and for God is something that seems to be a, a, a common thing in all of us, all people everywhere, and it's what makes it possible for God to find us. I wonder if God wanted humans to go off in all the different directions and then for every tribe on earth to grapple with the mystery of God and then come together to share our different ideas. I haven't traveled nearly as much as Penny Holt has because she's the marathoner, but we've gone a few places and I've heard some of those stories of some ancient peoples from uh, Native America and, and there's some wonderful stories that they believed and came to understand about God that could find their place in most every Christian home. The final connection shared by Paul and the philosophers was the awareness of their own mortality. Now that's something that'll catch up with you when you hit 61. Um, we, many ancient cultures believed in a final day of reckoning, either at their own deaths or at the end of the age. And most people have a sense of dread about that as they think about it. Paul had some good news to share with those people in that day. First bit of good news was that God was calling people to change their evil ways, to turn away from false beliefs and the worship of false gods and make preparation for that day of reckoning. Like the little child said when he saw his grandfather reading the Bible, oh, I see you're studying for your final exams. Secondly, Paul said that, that God has put the task of judgment in the hands of someone who actually lived on earth among us. The man, it says, that God appointed, who is one of us, the Messiah, the God-man on earth. You see, we don't have to worry whether or not the holy and perfect God will understand our humanity as he judges us by his very perfect standards. No, because we will be judged by one who struggled every day as you and I do against sin and temptation, one who totally understands how complicated life can be. But even more than that, we will be judged by the one who gave his very life and blood for us so that we would be saved. God appointed Jesus, Paul said, to be that judge. And he proved that fact by raising Jesus from the dead. Well, nobody bats a thousand in their sermons, and Paul didn't either. By the way that he overcame his aversion to the Athenians, though, he found that those five connections worked very well. A few of the philosophers thought that the talk of a resurrection from the dead was too much, and they laughed at Paul. Hey, they laugh at us too. But others said, Paul, we want you to come back another day and tell us more. We want to hear more. 
But a few felt so connected to Paul that they became Christians right then and there. Dionysius and a woman named Damaris, among others. There was no one offended by Paul's words, and that's always an excellent outcome of our witnessing. For those whom we do not offend today might be one for Christ tomorrow. Thanks be to God for this very old story that seems to have great implications for our day. Amen. I invite you to stand as together we affirm our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Standing this time, right? I serve a risen Savior, he's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever fools may say. I see his hand of mercy, I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today.
go forth in peace knowing that there is a connection between God and you even from the moment of your birth for you can see all around you in creation his love and you can feel in your heart your need for the Savior go and follow him all the days of your lives Amen Have a great week.